The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Now here's David Tuttle and Astro's master of banter, Blummer. Oh, I like Spalding. Um, I will say this though: the rules are going to be really hard to get away from. I mean, the, I don't, I don't Dude, see how they're going to work for the season. I just don't. And I mean, the podcast could be a bunch of questions. It is. Should we change the rules of how we do the podcasts. No. Well, I mean, we can always do that. That's what's nice is that we're the Rob Manfreds of the bleachers. But, dude, to your point though, I mean, this kind of jumps right into it real quick. But I mean, are, have they gotten to the point of no return or have they gotten to the point where like, oh shit, we, we overshot the landing and now what do we do? I, I don't, I totally know what you mean. You know what I mean? Like, like we went zero to 150 at like 15 seconds. And now people are freaking out. Fans are freaking yep. out. Players are like, what the, what do I do? And the game seems yep. rushed. And now we're like, can we, can we, can we pull back? Cause I don't know if I said it last week or mentioned it, but it feels like it's three, three to five seconds mm-hmm. off. Like if you went 18 to 20 seconds and then 25 to 28, 30 seconds with a guy on base, I don't know. No, I agree with you. This is um when you watch people play sports and they're uh, like with a shot clock or whatever. I watched yesterday, I was watching some NBA go figure and there was three seconds when the ball came in and I watched mm-hmm. the guy catch the ball, dribble behind his back, take a left dribble and then shoot it like in comfort. And I was like, oh, that's impressive. Isn't like, that amazing? Yeah, like but it that's was that three amazing seconds you're talking it, about. Yeah, so he took time and he was composed. But I think what was crazy was like that's what we need. We it doesn't need to look rushed. If they gave him three to five extra seconds, and I think you did mention that last week. If you get three to five extra seconds, you're in a really good spot to um to make it look natural. And I do think that they rushed it by saying, oh, well, we tested this in the minor leagues for two years, so here we go. Big leaguers, you know, be damned. Because it just doesn't seem to be working. It doesn't seem to be working. And you know what's crazy is that the minor leagues are always going to be the guinea pigs for what's going on. And that being said, you know what the difference between a minor leaguer and a big leaguer is? The minor leaguer's trying to get to the big leagues, so they're going to do whatever it takes. You know this as well as I do. We were like, oh, this is going to be the role? F it. I'll do it if it gets me to the show. Right. You know? Like, there were, yeah. there were always, like, the, the team would be like, you can only wear your pants at a certain height. Okay, yes, sir, Mr. Sir. If it means I get yeah. to the big leagues, I'll do it. And you got to be clean shaven in this organization, the Reds and the Yankees. Like, oh, you can't have, yeah. a, you know, any hair below your lip, so you look like a police officer with your mustache. Okay, that's fine. 
But you, but you get a group of guys who are trying to appease the system to get to where they want to be, but you're not right. using the, the rules on guys who are actually playing the game at the elitist, at the elite level that the big leaguers are playing. And then you impose the minor league rule on a big leaguer and you're like, go. This is how it's going to be, and I think you're starting to see some of the some of the reality at that level. And that was one of our questions. We actually talked about that last podcast. Is it going to affect the product? And when it does affect the product, then what do you do? Because I think you're starting to see right. it affect the product a little bit. I think it will, and I do think this is the they let the cat out of the bag, and I don't know how they're going to stuff it back in because. Mm-hmm. They make it sound like they vetted this and they vetted it, you know, for years. Even the robo umpires they've tried at the lowest levels, but whether it would be the bigger base or the lack of shift, and those don't, don't excuse me, those don't seem to be as impactful. But the clock, I said this last time. I mean, you know, when we talked about steroids and being accepted with steroids, like the game was different, right? You you had your mm-hmm. three, four, five, six, and seven hitters all juiced up going for the three run homer. And you didn't care about speed on the base paths and stealing was less important and your defensive positioning was different. And then they got rid of that and they went back to a more like, all right, we need a fast center fielder and we need a guy at the top of the lineup that can make things happen. And, you know, we don't play situational baseball the way maybe it was played in the 50s and 60s and most sports evolve. And, you know, we like seeing the, uh, what do you call it? The the drop and, not the drop and drive, but the swing and lift. What do you call it? The launch, like the launch oh, uh, angle. Lift and separate. Lift and separate. I mean, that's part of that's right. That's part of modern day baseball. And that's changed, um, you know, for the kind of for the better over the course of, you know, the years that we've been playing and watching. But I do think um, your point is is probably the best point, which is minor leaguers are trying to do what they've what what it takes to get to the big leagues. And very often the people that have their finger on that are, you know, people that told me, hey, you were a starter and now we're going to make you a reliever. That's why we traded for you. You're going to throw harder and you're going to throw one inning and this is what you're going to do. You're like, Good All example. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll do that to get to the big leagues. You know, that'd be awesome. And then you're going to go to winter ball and be a setup guy. And then we're going to have you do this. And I'm like, okay, yes, master. You know, I mean, you just, mm-hmm. you feel like that's what's going to get you there. And, and rightfully so. I mean, that's, they've done it or they have their the power to say hey this is how we think the path for you is going to be and they're paying you know albeit you know peanuts but they're paying you to kind of get there and then when you get there as you said you have a different take on it um it's kind of like what happens in the classroom and then you know what happens mm-hmm. in real life like all right or, this is yeah. how you pass the class and then this is what real life is big league baseball and this is my point that i can't get away from is what i said last time is the mind games you know okay he threw me a 1-1 slider this is what he normally throws me there is some thought process in there from both pitchers and hitters that is going to go away in this accelerated time frame and i think it's you know does it affect the product absolutely and i don't know i don't know if forcing these guys to adjust is the right way to go, right? Square peg, round hole. So you've seen it already in spring training. You've mm-hmm. talked about the game times. Certainly they're sped up. The seventh inning, you know, beer sales, you know, when the when the owners start feeling that, the pinch on that. I, I just, I don't know. I mean, you said it last time, and I know the guys are saying the correct thing, but you, are you allowed to kind of, I mean, you are obviously a, a 14-year big leaguer. What... They can't be happy about this, both sides. The pitchers seem to be enjoying it more because they can play with the clock. But what's what's really going on, I guess, are, you know, as, as far as you can tell? 
No, they're, they're saying that they're going to say the right things in the media because there are repercussions when you do make public statements, obviously. But I think if you do get behind the scenes and you talk to these guys, they're, they're not going to complain about it because I do think universally, maybe even you and I agree on this, or maybe the traditionalists will say, yes, the game is taking too long. Three and a half, four hours for a baseball game is too long. Uh, you know, uh, hitters dragging their bat to the box, going through a routine, the pitcher taking a lap around the mound before he throws a pitch. Yes, there are certain ways to cut time off the game. And I do agree in a sense that it does need to be sped up. That being said, I think that spring training is that Petri dish or that lab experiment where you can throw it out there and say, it worked, it didn't work, we can make an adjustment. I hope that's where the mentality is going because, like you said, you talk to these guys off, off script or off camera and you're like, you know, it feels a little crazy when I'm in there. It feels like things are getting mo moving a little too fast. And, you know, to your point about the pitcher thinking about the next pitch or making an adjustment off the game plan they have or allowing the catcher to to kind of have that conversation with the pitcher and say, I think we need to get off this pitch. He's sitting on it. You know, that thought process needs to happen. And, you know, as much as we think athletes are rocket scientists, <laughs> they're not. <laughs> you know, you need to stop. The panic of the game can set in and you got to go, okay, he just threw me this. This could be the next pitch. I need to get back in the box, take a deep breath, relax, and then get in the box. And yeah, that's going to take a couple extra seconds. Like you said, maybe that three seconds will add a little more comfortability to have the thought. Um, but we actually had uh, Kyle Tucker on an interview during one of our broadcasts and he specifically said, he goes, the hard part is going to be in adjusting pitch to pitch. Now, there's guys, there's plenty of guys in the league that are just like, like we said, drop and drive, lift and separate. I'm going to hit the next pitch as hard as I can. I don't care what it is. But there are guys out there, the Michael Brantleys, the Jose Abreu's, the, you know, the Mike Trouts, Shohei Otani. There's a lot of guys out there that actually think <laughs> during and at bat. And they need that extra little little couple seconds of time to, to just register what happened, process it, and then reevaluate what the next pitch will be. And I think that's where, you know, I don't want that to become the issue. And when we say it's going to affect the product, that's when you start to mess with my money. As a, I'm talking as a player, when you start to mess with my money, that's my product that makes me money. And if you start to mess with the money, that's when the complaints are going to start to come out. Because the second yeah. we get a month into the season and Mike Trout's hitting 250 or uh, Pete Alonzo has one or two home runs, you know, in the first month and a half of the season, they're going to start going, oh, wait a minute. Pitchers have the advantage. This isn't good for hitters. We're freaking out. We're panicking. And all of a sudden, I've dug myself a hole I can't get out of. Or you have the pitcher, like you said, feeling rushed. And, and you can speak to this because I can see it as a hitter. If I feel like a pitcher's rushed and he's not making the right decisions, all of a sudden that elbow starts to lead early and that pitch starts to hang up or that curveball yeah. doesn't have the snap because you're not getting the extension. And guess what? Yakati! And all of a sudden I'm going <laughs> off, you know, and that's, that's where the issue. But once it starts to affect the money, that's when we're going to start to see adjustments being made. I mean, that's the brutal truth. I, absolutely. And I think that's always the, and maybe there's a year or two of adjustments. I mean, you know, Mike Trout's mm -hmm. a, probably a good example or a bad example because he's locked in for 20 years at, you know, 30 million a year. <laughs> like he's mm -hmm. like, that's not the real money, but you're absolutely right. The, the journeyman, the guy coming up and down the, you know, the ERA, Hey, was your ERA a three or a four? Um, well, I felt rushed in those innings. And I think the real, real telltale sign to me 
and I guess if they make it through 162 games, will be the playoffs because we've Ooh. we've seen it in golf, right? So the bigger tournaments, they I don't know if they're more lenient, but these guys they were trying to oh, speed them up with the holes, you, and they have right. You know the masters, oh, yeah. they have the delay, and they're like, all right, well the 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 you know the the uh, what do they call it? the the marshals standing over there, and he's mm-hmm. like you know looking at his watch, but he's like he dropped his watch or he starts the clock over again. I mean, these are the <laughs> biggest tournaments. Pay, you know, these are the these are the reason you came out to watch. Are you going to give Tiger Woods a stroke penalty in the biggest oh. you know tournament of the year? It just it's not going to happen. And so to me, this will be if it's the petri dish or the lab experiment, like you said. The playoffs is yes, playoffs. Playoffs. You talk about playoffs. Is that's going to be the telltale sign, right? Is Verlander going to be rushed, you know, in a one-one game in the seventh inning when the Mets are in the playoffs for the first time ever? You know, that'll be that'll be <laughs> to me the telltale sign whether baseball really meant it. And maybe this is for the for the season, and then they 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 uh, relax it a little bit in the playoffs because I do think. Me personally, I mean, you and I both probably, I don't mind a three and a half, four hour game in the playoffs when it's like, it's the most crucial time of the year. We talk about high leverage innings and high leverage at bats, but I I just, Mm -hmm. that to me will be the true test of whether they're going to really enforce this or is this the, Hey, let's race through the season and then, you know, we'll slow it down in the, uh, slow it down in the playoffs and see how it goes. But I, I, I do agree with you. I mean, the money is where all of this is. If baseball starts losing money on their seventh inning beer sales and the owners are unhappy and the pitchers and the hitters start losing money one side or the other because they're rushed, then maybe, you know, maybe this is a temporary experiment and not a permanent rule change. It, that to me, I can't get over it. I told you I didn't have a lot for this podcast, but I'm just as a fan now can't fathom that this is going to go for 162 games and everyone's going to buy in and the rules are the rules and that's how it's yeah. going to go. I just, I don't see it. Well, and I'm curious too, because you bring up a, 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 I mean, this is just a logical point. I feel like, because when you, when you say, and this is where the data doesn't translate from the minor leagues to the big leagues either, because maybe there is a, it, maybe it's a smaller sample size, but you know, did, did uh, concessions go down when the clock was instituted in compared to years past for minor league teams, but it's going to be on such a drastically different level for major league baseball, because obviously concession sales are greater when you have 40,000 people, when you have $15 beers, as opposed to $5 beers at a minor league game. So, that's that's probably and there was actually another point, but I want to I want to ask you, you know, we, they're going to need to get the data from that because let's just be honest, three and a half hour game, the seventh inning comes at you know two and a half hours into the yep. game, and at a, in a two and a half hour game that it, you can make the assumption that the beer sales are going to be after an hour and hour and a half, you know, hour you're cutting an hour of maybe, sales. Yeah. You're yeah. cutting it basically, you know, 30 to 40, 30 to, 30 to 60 minutes off your beer sale time. Does that make a difference? Or do you just have you and your buddies line up in the, in the fifth <laughs> inning and buy six beers a piece or whatever? I don't know. Right. You know, are yeah. they going to be able to adjust off that? But that's going to be a more of a consistent theme throughout the course of the season where that, that time to purchase is shortened. Now, yeah. the other one was, you know, you and I, you know, you grew up in the Bay Area. I grew up in LA. So if I was going to go to a Dodger game, it was a 45-minute drive to get in. Traffic is a bitch getting in at a Dodger stadium. Is it worth sitting 
for a two and a half hour game for me to buy that ticket and drive that much time and put in that much effort to go watch a game. There were, you know, I think it was our, our buddy Rob Fontenot that actually brought that up. If I drive an hour in and an hour back for a two and a half hour game, am I, am I getting my money's worth? Is that, is that the, the return on the investment that I want? You know, how do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great point. I, I think I hadn't thought about it that way, but I always think about when you come out here and we go golfing, you know, it's a day, it's an excursion, right? It's part of the event. It's like, I don't want my rounds. People are always like, oh yeah, let's uh, space out the foursomes and let's get it going, crank it out. Like, I don't want to play a two and a half hour round of golf because, you know, I've already, you know, kind of blocked out the day, half the day for that. You know, it should be about a four hour round and make sure that we, you know, have mm-hmm. some libations at the turn and, you know, part of it's the camaraderie and the and hanging out it, part. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I kind of think to your point, you know, you're at the, you're at the game every night commentating, you know, you're in the booth. Like I'm sure as a, not just as a fan, but as a job, it'd be great. Cause you're there at, you know, Minute Maid Park four nights in a row. You'd love two hour, two hour, 15, two and a half hour games. Cause you're like, in, that's right. You're getting paid the same. You're there every night. So it's monotony is the wrong word, but you know, you don't need those games to go four hours, four and a half hours and have extra innings every night. You're like, God, you're getting home at two. And you know, I mean, it's a rough deal. Um, but as a fan, and this is where we talk about, you know, obviously working in it and being a player, um, you know, you're having a different experience. And I actually agree with you is that if, Hey, the Yankees come into town here in, you know, Anaheim stadium, the big a, and they, you know, people pay full price for those tickets and over and the stadium finally sells out because, you know, the Yankees are in town and that game lasts like two hours and five minutes. I mean, to your point, it's 45 (laughs) minutes to get in there and you pay 20 bucks for parking. And then you, you know, you sit down and get your peanuts and your beer. And in an hour and a half, you're getting your last beer and then you're out of there. If you did that for a business meeting or you did that for fun or, hey, we're going to have one night out to come watch the, you know, the Bronx Bombers in town. I do think you, you, I guess you're just you're running the risk of being disappointing the fans and actually losing some people because the experience is what often we pay for. And I used to, you know, I guess the Foo Fighters are going to come back out. We don't know who the drummer is now, but uh, that was the greatest thing is Dave Grohl, whether it was always, you know, it was a little planned or a little staged. He would come out and goes, hey, we're going to spend three hours with you guys. Like, here we go. Mm -hmm. Get ready. Like, buckle up. And, you know, it was it was fun to kind of know that you were going to spend three hours there because you know, you waited a long time to, you know, I don't know, get the tickets and have the experience. And so I think with 162 games, yes, speeding it up might be a good thing. But I think, you know, Rob's point or your point is great, which is if it takes you an hour and a half coming and going to get to the stadium and the game shorter than that, it might be frustrating. And you might now lose some fans, forget the revenue side of it, you might lose some fans and some interest. And I think that's, you're running a, you know, a big risk. Yeah, you're running a big risk, but at the same time, I think it encourages teams to win because I truly, honestly feel that Houston fans are going to show up. You know, I think the Giants have a good enough team and a good enough ballpark that they're going to show up. You know, uh, people yeah. are going to pay the. Well, you don't have to, to drive into San Francisco. A lot of that's yeah. people walk in or you know Bart in. So I. But think, even yeah, so, you're no, gonna, you, you're going to yep. you're going to make the effort because you you love the team, you love the ballpark, yeah. the garlic fries are amazing, the views are insane, <laughs> and you're going to see good baseball because the Dodgers, Padres. I mean, that's a great division. And it's just like the Astros. The Astros are a phenomenal team. They're going to have phenomenal giveaways of ring ceremonies. They're going to have banner unveilings. You know, there is a certain excitement around some of those teams. Are you telling me that a two-hour game in Miami, I'm going to drive from Fort Lauderdale and go an hour and and a half down there to go watch a game? 
I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. know. We'll throw some other teams in there, even, you know, downtown Cincinnati. So you have Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. Yeah. Those are both nice, close ballparks. But Minnesota is another one. If you're not engaged and you're not trying to win, to your point, like what's, you know, what's the what's the point of going out if it's not yeah. going to be? Um, I think marketing. I don't know. Worthwhile. Marketing teams. Yeah, marketing the team and giveaway. There's going to have they're going to have to get pretty creative on how to draw fans in if it's only going to yeah. be for that brief amount of time. I mean, yeah. granted, there, you're going to have moments where you're going to see great baseball in two and a half hours. Yeah. You know, you're going to have mad pitching matchups where you're like, dude, this is awesome, or you're going to have slugfest yeah. where you're like, two and a half. Lit. That's probably the biggest thing is you're trying to compress those those twelve to ten games where the pitching just isn't there, but right. the offense is awesome. But you want to speed up the, the action of it and keep that ball in play. That's always the idea. Well, let's switch to some positivity. Let me just transition to the shift rule. And maybe this is just a pitcher. Oh, and I, I was thing. just going to do the same thing. It's almost oh, nice. as if we're in each That's other's great. heads. Hey, we are. We've done this podcast a while. No, just because this is such a negative thing. The time clock seems to be negative, And I just, I can't, I've got to do a little more deep thinking around how it's going to work out as the course of the year goes. And maybe as spring training goes we on. we do and like baseball. Yeah, by the way, we do like baseball. <laughs> and I and and going back to the traditionalist aspect, traditionalist, easy to say, traditionalist. Mm-hmm. The um the shift, the the fact that you have to have a certain number of guys on the dirt and a certain number of guys on the correct side, I call it the correct side, the original side of the bag. There was a was it on Instagram right, they Abner. showed when uh, Joey Gallo was up. I thought that was great. How many all the guys on the that Oh, nice. Look at that. Hey, we're on the same page. Mm -hmm. And then now this year, how they, you know, how they have guys, um, he's not going to be the best guy because I don't think he's trying to take the ball up the middle, but (laughs) you mentioned it last time a little bit with guys actually taking better two strike swings and trying to hit the ball up the middle and, or when the first baseman's holding the runner on guys Mm -hmm. actually, you know, those are the most frustrating hitters. I mentioned that last time, the guys that could actually hit and take the ball the other way. We're going to see, I guess, a little more traditional baseball. And I just think it's nice to know when I'm watching TV from my angle, which is right behind the pitcher and a guy smashes one in the hole and you're like, Oh, that's a hit. And nowadays with the shift, you're like, what? That guy's playing 30 feet in the right field. It's an easy out. And you guys mm-hmm. had to adjust oh. as commentators. Like, Oh, that ball's to short right field. Oh, but Altuve standing right there. You know, you're like, mm-hmm. what? Anyway, it's just frustrating as a pitcher to see that. And I'm sure more, even more so as a hitter, um, it's nice to know when the balls hit hard in the correct spot, it's going to be a hit. So I, I am a fan of the sh- the lack of the ability to you know shift and the traditional kind of you know having the eight guys in the field the way they should be. And I don't know what you've seen in spring training, but that's always how we start. This is opinion, and then what have you seen in spring training, and how's mm-hmm. that working out? No, it's been good. I've actually seen some hitters really try and adjust their style because I we I mean we've said it a lot in this podcast, but the lift and separate, drop and drive, and everything you know, a lot of things I heard when the shift was starting to be instituted from these modern day hitters that we're seeing adjusting to the shift is the old Ted Williams mentality. Well, if they're going to play me over there, I'll just hit it over their heads. So the idea of lifting to the pull side, whether you're left-handed, right-handed, was the idea is I'll just, I'll just crowd the plate. I'll get on it. I'll barrel it up and I'll just try and hammer it over their heads. Um, but it kind of took away the creativity of the of the teams because they've done such a good job of shifting win probabilities, run you know taking away runs, uh, and doing things like that. They've done such a good job. But 
in keeping the keeping everybody on their side of the field and basically that line up the middle of the diamond is the width of the base so you've got the width of the base that you can't so you can't play behind second base you can get as close as you can but hitters have really adjusted you know i've seen uh kyle tucker looks like he's doing a better job of staying inside the baseball bringing the knob through and trying to use what we called the big part of the field it's coming back um but to your point the Boston Red Sox have made a massive adjustment. You're not going to do this on every guy. You may do it on a Cody Bellinger and obviously a Joey Gallo. Some of these guys are limited in their ability to adjust and make contact. So that being said, they had the third baseman playing in that five and a half hole. The, sh the shortstop was playing up the middle. Second baseman was playing. It looked like a traditional almost second base. And then the first baseman was playing a little bit closer to the line for the pull. Big Joey Gallo left-handed hitter. But... But they brought in, I don't know if it was a left fielder or a right fielder, but they brought an uh, outfielder in to play that, that shift second baseman in the past, kind of a rover. And then they had a center fielder and a right fielder. And the right fielder was kind of shaded towards the uh, right center field gap. So that kind of was a pseudo shift because they know Joey Gallo isn't going to hit it to left field unless he gets a mistake. And they're willing to give that to him. It was amazing to me to see. And that's yeah. what you're going to start to see because the outfielders don't have the restrictions. But I do think they don't have the restrictions, right? They can't be. But I do think, to your point, like good hitters will take advantage of that. So I think yes. that that that's shift will be key. few and far between. And this yeah. is interesting because I was looking at my own stats before um, – that recently somebody was asking a question. I was like, I threw, so I threw a thousand innings, right? I mean, in nine years of <laughs> professional baseball. So a thousand innings in a thousand innings, that's a good sample size. And so I think that's yeah. your biggest point here. Joey Gallo, he's been in the big leagues for a while. They know, I mean, he's never hit a ball, you know, 10 feet from the left field line. And so they don't have to go <laughs> over there. I mean, right. He's got a thousand at bats or 2000 at bats or whatever he has. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, that, the science is there. The the numbers are there, which is why, like you said, the shift became such a tool because these guys scout games all the time. I mean, we both know guys that were playing for a long time that have been scouts for 10, 15, 20 years. These guys, they scout, they watch baseball, they watch baseball, and that's all they do. So I do think... It'll be neat to see, neat is an interesting word. It'll be cool to see some of the creativity, <laughs> but... But it'll be very few players that they're able to do that to. Gallo's a good example, but I, I can't. I mean, you probably yeah. know better than I do. I mean, even Rizzo, who got into the, he crowds the plate and he's really trying to yank the ball over guys with no shift there. I mean, we saw him in the playoffs. He's a good hitter. He can go the other mm -hmm. way. You know, he's not afraid to do some things. So I do think, I mean, it's probably a handful of players you'll see that shift work on. What do you think? No, I do. I, I think you're exactly yeah. right. I think it's interesting. It's intriguing. But there, if you're going to take that gamble, that gamble or that risk is so much easier with a guy like Joey Gallo up there. Mm -hmm. Cody Bellinger is another guy I think of when okay. I think about you could just kind of mess around a little bit because there's mm -hmm. and it's not and it they're not good hitters. And what I mean right. by a good hitter is that 280 plus guy, like you said, able to move the ball around the diamond, puts together great at bats. These guys, when you talk about risk, I'm willing to sacrifice an entire field on the big league field because not only are they heavy on the pull side, their contact rates are so low. Right. You know, so the 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 probability of strikeout is almost greater 
I would actually say it, it <laughs> surprise. I mean, those guys are 30% tri- strikeout guys. It's probably greater that they strike out than they actually get a base hit to left field. And that's right. kind of where the analytics and the data comes in and says, okay, this is a worthy risk to put our right fielder shallow, push everybody over there and try and beat them that way. Uh, yeah. But I think that's that's not going to be an every every at bat thing. It's not going to be every left handed hitter. It's going to be particular guys that you can do it on, right. um, because th- that's a little dangerous. Because there are going to be hitters that take advantage of using that up the middle part of the field a little more often, as far as left handed hitters yeah. are concerned. But I mean, you can go through lineups. Like I don't think the Astros have a guy you can do that to. I mean, not. I mean, I mean, you may, would. I mean, yeah. I'm. Yeah, I wouldn't even do it to Jordan. I would do it to Jordan if there were – how about situationally? You know, Jordan Uh, with nobody on. Jordan and nobody on base, maybe, just because when he gets runners on second base, he's like – he's an RBI guy. So those RBI guys will actually sacrifice power to drive in the run, and that's – I've seen Jordan do that. And that's where I wouldn't – But that means he's a good hitter. That's what we were saying. Situational hitters, like, you know, they know what to do. They'll give themselves up. Oh, sack fly. All right, I just got to hit a deep fly ball. Just now I open myself up to – yeah, I mean that's that's the difference. Like you said, he's a good contact guy, and maybe with nobody on, nobody out, or something. But I, I it, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be yeah. interesting to see. And that, and then the last rule that we, I guess, we've talked about is the bigger base. You brought up last time, three inches closer to home, but also three inches closer to the first baseman's foot as he's stretching out. What yeah. uh, what have you seen as you've watched a couple, you know, more weeks of baseball? Like what have we what have we seen? Well, it's it's hard to to say that the bang bang play at first base now is going the way of the base runner because I don't I just don't know. I mean, maybe it was bang bang the other way, you know, with the, the yeah, extra yeah, three right. inches. But but yeah. the one the one place where I've actually really seen it because nobody's bunting more. I don't see more guys hustling more often to first base to try and beat it out. You know, there's not that incentive where you're like, oh man, I'm three inches closer. I'm going to hustle. Um, But where I've seen it is uh, base stealing. I feel like the base stealing is going to be a little bit different. And I think the first to thirds, even though it's incremental in just a couple of inches here and there, but now you can make a little bit sharper turn because that base is closer to the inside of the bag. Uh, You know, the bag is wider. So one thing I've noticed is like if you, as a base runner, if you go to the outside of the bag, it's a little bit further for the fielder to go and get the runner on the outside part of the bag. So I think there's there's some strategy in going first to third because you know you can increase your lead obviously by a couple of inches. Uh, you can change your your trajectory into the bag a little bit to stay away from the tag, which is kind of nice. And you're just a shorter distance by a cup maybe about six or seven inches all the way around the diamond, which is kind of nice. Maybe that enhances the opportunity to go. But I think that base stealing, I've seen some of these league these leads these guys get, you can see them after one pickoff, after a second pickoff, all of a sudden these guys are taking like an extra foot and a half to feet off the lead than they normally would because the, because of the rules and the constraints. And I've actually seen a couple of guys time up the clock. They're able to see the clock and the, and the pitcher comes set and they'll, you know, they'll break on two seconds or one second anticipating the pitcher going to home plate. That's where I think the, the, the interesting thing is. And that's what we talked about last time, like making the guy stop at second base. I think the clock is going to come in to play you know, much like a shot clock. Like if it's down to a second and mm-hmm. the pitcher hasn't picked or thrown to the plate, you you can take off. Cause I mean, I know as a pitcher, like you just want to be clear of mind, right? I want to, mm-hmm. I want to be comfortable yeah. with what I'm doing. Like, all right, I'm going to throw this pitch, you know, low and outside. And that's what you're thinking about. Um, are there any restrictions? I know a buddy who's a coach at a junior college, they have restrictions of how many times you can throw over. Um, yeah. you, you, 
Oh, so you can't throw over. Yeah. So so you so, there you so during an during an at bat, you can only pick over twice or disengage the rubber twice. That's right. um after after that, if you pick off and you don't get the out. So you can pick off that third time, but if you if you don't get the out, mm-hmm. you have it's a balk and the runners move up 90 feet. But if you yeah. do get the out, it's fine. He's out. You yeah. just play the game With, as is. So that's that's another little you just you know just boom there the light bulb went off again it's like you've picked over twice now you see the guy with a two foot bigger lead you can wait down to like a half a second and then pick over because that guy's yes. trying to time you and take off it's like hey so there's a little cat and mouse game there it'll be interesting to see how managers utilize that and if they know what tendencies are. I do think we've said this for, you know, it's not our cliche, but baseball is a game of inches. And your mm-hmm. point is awesome about the three inches here, two inches there, first to third stealing, like baseball is a game of inches. And, you know, we've just added some, some more, uh, you know, complexity to the game, certainly from a base running and a pitching and picking over standpoint. I do. And this conversation, like you said, in the, right at the outset of this podcast, is it is going to continue to be a conversation the entire time. And it's just a matter of time before somebody actually spouts off. Because there was an article in The Athletic about Kevin Gossman, and uh, he was talking about the adjustments he's had to make. And he actually called out Nestor Cortez and uh, Johnny Cueto. He, he's like, I can't take my, you know, I can't pat my foot until I come set and then go to home. And Luis Garcia can't step forward, then step back and then pitch. Those are going to be called box. But at the same time, Johnny Cueto can get up there and do a pirouette, you know, for 30 seconds and then throw a pitch. And he's never going to get a box called on him. You know, that's what's going to be interesting. And, you know, to your point, the hitter only has one timeout. You can only say a timeout once. Yeah. You don't get any more after that. So if Johnny Cueto and Nestor Cortez are messing with my timing and I'm like, I've had enough of it, and I go, time out, guess what happens the next, the rest of the at-bat? He's out there goofing off, doing his thing before he comes to whole plate. So yeah. uh, we're going to be talking about this all season <laughs> long. Yes, we are. Um, and just to mix it up a little bit, a lot of these conferences in basketball are ending. We got conference uh, championships coming up, a lot of conference tournaments coming. Uh Tuttle, you're. Have you been watching a lot of college basketball? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring Mark on because I, I gotta, yeah. I gotta give him a shout out, man. Because yeah. uh, UH because they're strong. Cougs are number one. Yeah, they beat Memphis yesterday. I have on a last the West Coast shot, Confer- dude. It was nuts. <laughs> I know West Coast Conference though is in. They were in the mix. Santa Clara was like Santa Clara is going to the tournament this year. I think they'll be behind Gonzaga and St. Mary's in the WCC. But they lost a double overtime game to USF, who they'd beaten <sighs> twice this year. But I gotta think they're gonna. <laughs> get into the tournament um that didn't help them a lot i mean they would have had to but they're you know they won 23 games i think they're 23 oh, and 9 or 23 and 8 so santa clara should be able to get into the tournament who's house cougs house so how are the cougs looking dude are we are we confident in the cougs going into this uh into the uh what is it the american conference tournament before they get into the to march madness yeah i think i think they already locked up the uh the conference yeah they won it so that's that's no big deal. I, I think Mattress Mac is pretty confident in it. Oh, what he do now, man? He's always doing something. <laughs> I'm sure what he has he a bet, bet on it. But yeah, yeah, I'm sure he has a bet on it. But you know, just what he always does, he has that. If U of H wins, then you get your furniture free or whatever it is. Dude, I'd be scared to death to bet on that because I think the Cougars are pretty damn good, man. Their their defense is. De- I'm really starting to feel like defenses win these championships if you're able to outlast some of these Cinderella stories who just fire up errant threes that end up going in, man. 
I will say I watched a little bit. I my I said this about Baylor too, and I think we've said this on the podcast before. But you know, not everybody listens every week. Um, UNLV, right? When they were the they when they beat Duke and they were just grown men. Baylor and UH <laughs> are both grown men. Like these they guys are, are, you know, yeah, they're just sasser and those guys. I mean, they're just grown men. So I do. The only thing that makes me nervous about this, like Kansas lost this week. Uh, right before, like Thursday or Friday, they lost, and they're going to be a number one seed. So it's hilarious. They lost to, I think they <laughs> lost to Texas. Um, but, you know, they, they're going to be a number one seed. Houston being probably one of the number one seeds, they're ranked number one right now. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of teams lose, you know, you want to be hot at the right time. But I just, I'm always nervous about the one one, like making it all the way. It just seems like it's too. I know it's not fair. You want to be the favorite and you want to be the no, best there's team. there's a burden but, of lofty expectation, man. Yeah, yeah. So their road is not going to be an easy one, but uh, but they are one of the best teams. I, I take Baylor and Houston any day of the week because of the, oh, you yeah. know, they got 22-year-old grown men that have experience. They also have good coaching, whether it be uh, Drew coaching uh, the Baylor team and uh, Sampson coaching the UH team. I I, I I would not bet against them, but it's going to be a tough road if they're the one-one. So yeah, I think it's defense, defense and composure. I'm starting to see. I've watched a lot. I mean, I've watched a lot of college basketball, mostly SEC. But mm-hmm. uh, in, in watching my favorite team, the Arkansas Razorbacks, I love I love their talent and their athleticism, but their inability to control emotion is yeah. what frightens me about them. But that goes to your point that grown men normally can can control that emotion and play well and use it to their advantage where I feel like some of the younger teams just freak out and all of a sudden, again, the game speeds up and they lose control and the shots get heavier and they bounce off further off the rim. But Kelvin Sampson's a guy who's really got that calm demeanor and he can see it in his guys. And he's like, let's calm it down pump the brakes a little bit. We're going to be just fine. And that's, you know, the no panic teams are usually the teams that play well. I totally agree. And I do think that goes to experience. We've talked about this before. I mean, Arkansas is not the team in the SEC that I'd be most concerned about. I think Alabama is probably the... Alabama and um, Tennessee. Wow. Yeah. And, Damn. you know, they have great coaches, but they also have some experienced guys. And mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen it time and time again that those are the teams, even when we went to this uh, one-and-done type deal, when Kentucky had the five freshmen that were all superstars and, you know, the other teams started doing the one-and-done. Yeah, the teams that started sneaking in were the teams that were like the butlers of the world that had like four fifth-year seniors, and that's and that's still lose. the case. Yeah, yeah, You're you have right. nothing to lose. You have guys that have experience. Um, you know, I think Virginia pulled it off that one year. The year after they lost as a one seed to the sixteen seed, the next year, the, all those guys were back and they were more experienced, and they win the national championship. So I, I, I. You know, haven't been paying as much attention as I normally do to the March Madness beginning here. But, um, you know, the composed teams, like you said, control the emotions with a good defense. I, I mean, I, I keep bringing up Baylor. I don't even know how ranked, you know, how highly they are ranked. But Houston, Baylor, you know, Kansas is always in the mix. What are they ranked? You say, Marco? So there you go. Seven. Yeah, seven. Well, yeah. UCLA's having a great year. Yeah, UCLA is another one. They look really good. So I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun tournament. It always is. So I love it. 
Yep. Another good podcast about nothing from here in the bleachers. <laughs> of course, I am Jeff Blum. You've got your co-host, David Tuttle, across the way, our producer, Mark Ramos. And uh, we always want to pump uh, Mark Ramos. He's got Ram shirts, man. He's been killing it. A lot of good swag. CrushCityTees.com. Wherever you can find him on Instagram, go look for it because he's got great stuff and he hooks us up. Um, what else can we do? Oh, um, out here in Katy. So if you're in Houston and you're listening to this, out here in Katy, there is a there is a top golf for baseball coming, and it is Ooh. called the Home Run Dugout. And I have some very good friends who are partnered up in that thing, but we are going to start pumping that a little bit. I think their grand opening might be at the end of the month and uh, end of March. So we are going to continue to keep you updated on that and give you more information about that. But keep your eye out for Home Run Dugout. They're going to have a wiffle ball field. They're going to have hitting bays. And it's going to be a little more virtual reality. And it's not going to be like a batting cage. So we will do more investigating into that. So Home Run Dugout out in Katy. Keep your eyes out for that. Grand opening, I think, towards the end of March, maybe early April, kind of coinciding with the opening of, of the Major League Baseball season. And of course, on every podcast, we'd like to give a shout out to the military, both veterans and those currently serving home and abroad. We always appreciate the sacrifice you've given to us to allow us the freedom to talk a little smack about baseball and other sports and just chop it up and continue our friendship via, via this internet. And and uh, we also appreciate all first responders, the police personnel, the fire personnel that go into harm's way, keep us safe and protect us and get us out of harm's way. Essential workers, frontline workers, uh, EMTs, doctors, and of course, teachers who are heading into that summer season. We appreciate all of you. And I think we've got one more note from our good buddy, David Tuttle. Well, uh, two more notes today. One is, yeah. oh, I, I, I feel if I head out to the... Uh, the home run deal, my back, my back might get thrown out heading out to the. Yeah, we get delusions the, of grandeur and start to yeah. lift and separate. Well, especially <laughs> wiffle ball, man. Wiffle ball. I feel like that. I know they've got wiffle a wiffle ball. ball field out there. How, how much fun would that be? You could start tearing, oh, start cutting that ball up again. I'm ready to roll. Injuries, injuries be damned. And um, <laughs> so uh, it, it, I mentioned last podcast, it is colorectal cancer awareness month. So, I mean, I guess every month or every day could be that, but uh, the month of March. So uh, please be aware of uh, colorectal cancer screening. And if you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. And that's all I got, Plumber. Get after it and believe it. Believe it. I found this on the web. Yeah, thanks, Siri. <laughs> Siri's yeah. happy about you. <laughs> To clean, this is what it comes up with. To clean or not to clean your nest box. What the? F uh, what? What is my nest box? Siri's an <laughs> idiot, man. Hey, you said believe it, clean it. I don't know. <laughs>